Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Agile for Humans is brought to you by audible.com. Get one free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash agile. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, including Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time by Jeff Sutherland, and Crucial Conversations by Carrie Patterson. Visit www.audibletrial.com forward slash agile to enjoy your free audiobook today. Processes and tools dominate today's agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. All right. Welcome back to Agile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Joining me tonight, a motley crew of fellow Agilists, some of my uh, best friends in this world and and wonderful acquaintances. First up, Aaron Copel. Aaron, welcome back. It's been a while since you've joined us. Yeah, I think it was episode number one. That's right. Welcome back. We're glad to have you. Next up, Mr. Tim Oninger. Tim, how are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm doing great. Always great to see you. Don Gray is making another visit to the podcast. Don, always happy to have you join us. Always happy to be here. New face, new voice on the podcast, Jason Tanner. Jason, thanks for joining us. Really appreciate you hopping on the podcast tonight. Thanks, Ryan. Glad to be here. Jason, some of the audience who may not be familiar with you, they've they've heard the rest of us ramble on and on for hours. Could you give people just a quick background, a uh, little information about yourself? Sure. I'm a natural management consultant, and uh, I 
do certified Scrum training, leadership coaching, Scrum team coaching. Enterprise Agile Adoptions has been my most recent experience, everything from small startups to mid-sized organizations all the way up to the large enterprise adoptions, which is uh, what I've been dealing with uh, most recently, uh, both here in the U.S. and uh, in Asia now. Wow, racking up the frequent flyer miles there. That sounds fun. For better or worse. (laughs) Right. Well, I actually, I got to meet Jason. I took uh, his uh, CSPO, the Certified Scrum Product Owner class, and uh, he caught my attention. It was also co-taught by Aaron on here, but uh, he caught my attention with some interesting ways that he conducts the class. It's not not PowerPoint-driven, and it's the first time I'd seen a class like that uh, handled with a lot of... uh, you know, drawing on the wall, a lot of sticky notes on, and things like that. A lot of fun exercises. So Jason uh, really brings an interesting twist to the traditional two-day training class. Uh, really deep, agile knowledge and uh, some really interesting exercises that make you think and bend your brain a bit. So Jason, really, uh, really appreciated the uh, the class you taught, and also appreciate you joining us tonight. My pleasure. So tonight thought uh, it could be interesting, and a few of you guys agreed, and a few of you guys didn't, but we'll see how it goes. <laughs> a, a look back at 2015 from an Agile perspective, just kind of like a quick year in review from each of our perspectives, and then perhaps take a look forward at 2016, see what's front of mind, what's, what we're going to be focusing on, some of the things we're going to be talking through, and uh, where some of the trends are going. And so I thought we'd fire up with Aaron... Aaron, 2015, from an Agile perspective, what caught your attention? What was front of mind? What really resonated and and what really uh, stuck with you? Uh, Yeah, so I guess just for me personally, it was uh, a pretty exciting time of a couple of different clients uh, working with a very small client here about 10 minutes minutes from my house, which was kind of cool. And also a couple of big ones, uh, one on the East Coast based in New York, and then another one with some offices here in Indiana as well as on the East Coast. And so it's been kind of an exciting mix of big and small clients, that kind of stuff. Um, and just, you know, comparing and contrasting uh, in the moment how they're they're dealing with their agile transformation and, and how they think about problem solving and leadership and those kind of things. So so that's been pretty exciting. And um, I think as you point out also, you know, getting into to more training, Jason – uh, finally convinced me to go down the path of uh, working toward my CST certification. And he and I did some co-training. I, I co-trained with uh, several other Agile coaches as well and trainers. And uh, really getting into training from the back of the room pretty seriously, uh, which was awesome. So, um, yeah, that's, I guess, where a lot of my attention was. A lot of what I was seeing going on is is different ways of learning and really those kind of things from Sharon Bowman uh, and her training from the back of the room really taking hold in a lot of areas. And now almost everywhere I go that has anything to do with training or workshops uh, is really starting to move that direction. And so those, those that are still sort of, you know, just reading PowerPoint slides of their class are, are quickly becoming the dinosaurs of the industry. So that's been an interesting one. Yeah, it was a very powerful technique. If anything, it it led to engagement, which I, I really appreciated. It was fun to. Uh, I mean, look, we've all sat through these cl- these two days. We all have the the certifications. To actually be engaged through one of these was really a, a different experience. So it is pretty cool. This training from the back of the room and and the the no PowerPoint. There's a new hashtag that we can all fight about. Uh, the no PowerPoint movement. Uh, has been pretty effective in these sessions, so really enjoy that. It's something that, if you haven't checked it out, uh, please do. We'll put a a link to 
uh, I think it's Training from the Back of the Room in the show notes. It's an excellent book. But uh, yeah, really cool stuff. Tim, 2015. I think you were very busy traveling the the speaker circuit. And I think you actually, Heart of Agile and a few other things that going on last year that were pretty big. You know, How did your, your year look and what really has stuck with you? It was a great year. I was all over the map in the best ways possible. Um, I was in UK and Europe. I really had a great time in uh, Springhouse in UK and also in Warsaw and just every place. Been to Australia for the first time. Um, a lot of speaking, um, but it's always good because you hear what everybody else is talking about, what, what's on everyone else's mind, and it's nice to see, you know, we're all kind of going to the same places. The industry moves with a, a certain self-directed sensing of direction. It's almost like a bunch of geese flying um, instinctively. So um, that was really some great stuff. It was also uh, my year of living shamelessly, which we've talked about before. So I was learning a lot about um, how to conduct myself differently, how to, how to see the world and other people differently. Strangely enough, every place I went, the topics were always the same, whether it was coaching beyond the team, which, by the way, is awesome and everybody should go there, um, or uh, any of the Agile conferences that I went to or the testing conferences and the quality conferences I went to. Everybody is so focused now on not just technology, but technology with a culture that works. That's just been awesome for me. I think it's just been a wonderful year. I've learned so much, and I've met a lot of good people. Very awesome stuff. Jason, perhaps uh, some insights from you about 2015, some of the trends, some of the things that, uh, that kept you busy, and, and some of the thoughts that uh, perhaps may carry over into this year. So, so like Tim, it was a great year, and uh, we lo- we looked back in December. Um, I worked closely with Luke Homan, and, and we're reflecting on what we wanted to do this year. And um, we noticed uh, about an even split between the amount of time that we spent uh, training and teaching uh, and consulting, which which I'm happy about because. Um, I don't ever want to be perceived as a as a teacher or an instructor uh, who's out of touch with what's really happening um, with different organizations and different trends, uh, both with teams that are practicing uh, Agile and uh, what's happening with other uh, consultants, other organizations, other other um, coaches and and other trainers. So. Uh, it was good to stay engaged at both the Scrum Gathering and the Agile Conference. Um, uh, first time at Agile Austin um, and also at uh, Southern Fried Agile. So plenty of chances to talk about um, this year is about how uh, business model choices and lean startup ideas and agility all interweave um, uh, to create opportunities for more frequent decisions based on feedback. Um, so the, the highlights were, were uh, that it's, it's surprising to find out who's already on an Agile journey. Um, it, it's getting to the point now where it's rare to meet um, uh, somebody who works for a company that hasn't either considered Agile or started some type of Agile. Um, and, and I loosely say Agile to include uh, dipping their toes in Kanban or trying some element of Scrum. Um, the flip side of that is that 
I'm also seeing a, a lack of awareness about what it, what it really means, um, both at the team level uh, and as well as the, the organizational level. Um, uh, there's an interesting, I think, lack of appreciation for how hard it is to start an Agile team, whether it be Scrum or, or some other flavor of Agile, really establishing uh, working agreements and, and um, uh, team decision-making roles and how to deal with conflict and navigate through the rough spots, um, you know, what it really means to, to have a team liftoff, uh, forgetting some of those ideas around uh, chartering uh, in an agile way. Um, and then further, what I've started to emphasize a lot with Scrum Masters is uh, switching from being a team secretary, managing a board and, and running uh, burndown reports to really becoming uh, professionals who understand organizational change and uh, the path to leading change and, and all of the tools and, and great books that are available um, and, and really simple practices that can make them a lot more successful and ultimately a lot more respected in organizations. So um, both as a reflection of last year and, and where I see uh, myself continuing uh, this year is uh, finding ways to elevate beyond the fundamentals to uh, more advanced execution uh, and, dare I say, more professionalism um, uh, because I'm not in the, in the craftsmanship side. I'm not in the software craftsmanship side. I'm, I'm more, I'd say, attuned to the uh, coaching, scrum master, and, and product owner, product management side of, of business professionalism. Uh, so that's, that's where I'm going to be focused this year. And Don, how about you? 2015, what did, uh, what did it look like for you? Uh, what really caught your attention? What sparked your fancy? And uh, what are your thoughts on that? So the big event for... There, I, I had two major events in 2015, one of which I'm... Both of which I'm still going through. Tim talked about uh, coaching beyond the team. Esther and I took that workshop to Stockholm. So we went overseas for the first time in 2015 with Coaching Beyond the Team. And I think that speaks to some of Jason's uh, thoughts about scrum masters and organizational change. Who, who helps navigate that? Who helps understand uh, the ins and outs, the personal, interpersonal workings and dynamics? Um, and how can organizations do the Agile journey? And George isn't on the phone call tonight, but uh, shameless plug for Patterns of Agile Journeys, a new book on LeanPub by George Dinwiddie, um, Susan DeFabio, Dan Newman, and a couple other people. And they talk about the different types of journeys. It's It's just not having a software team stand up and deliver every two, stand up every day and then do delivery every two weeks. Um, I think that's one of the things that we've sort of failed at as a community is when you start doing, shifting to agile development, you're really talking about organizational change and organizational, organizational development work. And, um, 
we need to be preparing people to do that. Uh, the other thing that was a major event for me in 2015 was a good client, great client, and there's coaching going at all levels. Uh, first time I've actually, and I've been coaching since 2008, and this is the first client where there's been coaches at the team level, there's coaches at the program leadership level, there are coaches at the executive level, there's coaches for um, complexity thinking, Kinevin, there's coaches for architecture, there's coaches for retrospectives, and so we've got this interweaving of talent at different levels of the organization that that makes me very hopeful that this one will really work out well. And they're in it for the long haul. When I joined, they'd been in it for a year. I've been with them for nine months now. So um, this could work, and that would be exciting. Yeah, it, it certainly does sound exciting, Don. And I will, um, I'll be sure to get a link to George Dinwiddie's new book, uh, Patterns of an Agile Journey. Is that right, Don? I believe that's it. Yeah, Don's a good friend of the show, and uh, I didn't realize he had a new book out. I will go out and grab that tonight, and maybe we'll get a review up next week on the site. It, uh, there it is. When any of you guys get a book out, I, I think we all rush to grab it. So this one, uh, we'll get a link in the show notes and uh, make sure to, to promote that for George. You know for me, 2015, um, I'm in a more traditional role these days, so I, this podcast was my big 2015. This was certainly a, a very successful year, largely, or in a large part, due to you know Tim, Don, Aaron, and guys like Jason and everyone else who, who are willing to be guests and who provide great content for the show and who are, have been very supportive. And so a lot of you guys have shared the show on, uh, on Twitter, on iTunes, and, and have just been immensely supportive of these efforts and uh, very uh, positive forces in my life. So that 2015 has been the, the year of the podcast for me from an Agile perspective. Uh, but I've also spent you know, the, the majority of the year traveling for the first time, speaking at conferences. So that was a great experience, getting out and actually getting up on the stage and getting through the, the terrifying uh, experience that that can be getting a lot of good feedback on some of those topics, uh, but also spent a lot of time in the fringes. So no estimates, clearly a popular topic on this show, but I've taken a deep dive into it this year and, you know, gone into the Twitter trenches and came out, you know, to tell the tale and, you know, trying to get, I think my head wrapped around some of these fringe ideas uh, to figure out what's there, what's possible and then reeling it back into more traditional applications. And so that's been a lot of fun trying to uh, wrap my brain around non-traditional ideas and finding the, the applicable pieces. And so it's been a very fun year uh, from that regard as well. Some common themes popped out. And Jason, actually, you said something that I had to, I was scrambling over here to find a uh, pen and paper. You know, when you were talking about you know, teams and professionalism, you made a comment, and I was wondering if we could spend a few minutes chewing on this as a group. You know, you said at one point that teams were uh, creating opportunities to make decisions. And for some reason that, it, my mind these days, now that uh, we have Twitter and texting, my mind works in like 144 character bits now. And to me, that sounded like a great tweet. But um, I think there's a, a really deep comment there that organizations are through the adoption of agile principles and practices are creating more opportunities to make decisions, but that's an interesting way to put it. Can you 
Uh, elaborate a little bit on that, Jason, on, on what you're seeing in that, in that area and how that's working out for companies. I, I actually said uh, teams need to create their agreements for how they're going to make decisions as a team uh, to navigate through sprints and iterations. But I also think that there's, through delivering value and having great retrospectives and sprint reviews, they're creating opportunities for decisions. So from, from a product owner uh, team delivery point of view or an agile product management point of view, uh, every iteration is an opportunity to generate feedback, which is an opportunity to make the next decision. From the team point of view, I, I think that there's something that's missed. You know, the most frequent question I get in Scrum Master class is, how do I hold people accountable? First of all, Scrum Master doesn't hold people accountable. Now we're into the area of, what does it mean for a team to actually self-organize? And where does accountability lie? And, you know, the, the knee-jerk reaction is, I've got a poor performer. How do I deal with it? And the first question is, well, what's, what's really going on with that person? There, there may be something going on that we don't know about. How, how, do, we, how do we help? You know, what, what conditions created the environment where that person is having difficulty? Because we hired the person. You know, it, we've got to assume, you know, positive intent that they're trying to do the best they can. But what can we do differently? You know, that that's really, you know, at the essence, I think, of, of a missing ingredient in teamwork that has just become a pattern I've observed. Um, you know, I, I actually like the higher level idea of the opportunities to make the next decision. You know, what do we build next? Uh, when do we release? Uh, should we kill this project because it's not going the way we thought it would? How can we re reinvest this team in something else that is going to be profitable and lucrative or successful? Uh, there, there's not enough projects, and you can tweet this, there's not enough projects taken out back and shot uh, because they're no good. Um, <laughs> so that's sort of my rant right now is, is um, you know, and, and more respect for the difficulty of being a team. And, you know, and the other thing that came up in my reflection with Luke um, we're sort of talking about um, you know, professional growth, and I was talking to him about you know, how, how I've observed you know, how difficult it is to program and how, how quickly I get out of my depth talking to people about the complexity of building software. And, and he reflected, he said, you know what? The thing that he's seen the most is how we don't appreciate how long it takes to build great software, that it's not a trivial event. And he's just gone through a major uh, re-architecture and redesign of Idea Engine, uh, which is the, the platform that enables you know, the innovation games like Prune to Product Tree uh, and Speedboat to be collaboratively uh, played online. Uh, and it just takes so long to produce beautiful, great software. And, and we miss that a lot, I think. Um, I think that's connected. Yeah, it's just an idea that that caught my attention. I I often get asked, you know, why why should we adopt agile? What are the benefits? And of course, we can run through the the transparency and and some of those activities and and some of the the increased quality and, and craftsmanship, but but the idea that by adhering to these principles and practices or by adopting scrum or whichever framework is your preference safe, you know, whichever one you like, you are creating these opportunities to make more decisions. You're creating these opportunities to, to change the course more often. And I think that gets missed quite a bit, but, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Do you guys have 
Go ahead, yeah, Eric. That struck something to me as uh, sort of combining two things that Jason had said along the way here so far about lean startups. So I've done a bit of coaching on that uh, the last year and a half as well with some small companies as well as some very large companies that uh, are really in a difficult industry to try to use those concepts. And I think as they work through um, getting closer to the customer, to really, really trying to empathize and understand what's going on in the customer's head, it gives you more opportunities to, to make decisions as a team as well because you're, you're that much closer. You don't have to rely on that one person to make all the decisions for you from a business perspective, being the product owner. They're, they're a person who can prioritize things, but you're, you're so much closer to the customer by using those kind of tools that the team itself can start making thoughtful decisions about the course of the product, the course of features, those kind of things, and, and really get you know beyond just the, the, the user story that the product owner has created. They can get to real user stories that they've heard firsthand from a customer, right? And so that gives them the ability to really get context and make really good decisions about where to go with their software. See, I think that's where there's a, a slowly dying trend in the uh, new adopters world. I hope it's slowly dying, um, where they kind of thought that Agile was just a new hat for waterfall. <laughs> and, you know, you do the same things you did. Of course, it works the same way. And, and of course, all decisions are centralized. You separate the thinkers from the doers. Of course, it's like a well-oiled machine, every piece in its own box doing its own part. And we measure them according to how well they do their part. We don't, you know, why would you let the team make distributed decisions? Why would you let someone uh, decide that the feature won't be exactly what we specified seven months ago? That seems crazy. How do we hold the individuals accountable? Because, you know, line workers will quit working if you don't watch them. <laughs> you know, all of these cultural transformations are a big part of what's going on in the world. I think that, uh, you know, we're still going to see it. As consultants, we're like doctors. You know, we don't get to see healthy people. <laughs> as much you know not saying that all of our clients are, are like you know sick and, and twisted just saying you know if there was no problem why would they invest you know there's something that they want that they don't have and a lot of times what that has been is just an understanding of, of how the culture can change and the idea of letting go a little bit and and learning how to do transactional trust that's hard for people but they're, they're learning it and this year seems like people are getting closer and closer I've seen a lot more self-managed teams, a lot more distributed decision-making, a lot of more autonomy. And, and this is my hope because I don't know that I'll see it in my career. But I think I, I, I definitely agree with you, Tim. I think we're sort of hitting an inflection point. And I'm reminded that of the saying from Max Planck that goes, a new scientific truth does not triumph by convincing its opponents and making them see the light, but rather because its opponents eventually die and a new generation grows up that is familiar with it. And we're getting to the point now where the new people coming into the business don't weren't, weren't brought up in the waterfall mentality, the big design up front that I experienced that a lot of us experienced. Um, and, and the managers that are coming into play and those moving into starting to move into senior roles have been through this agile thing once or twice. And you know, we, we talk about learning fast, doing things and learning fast. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to say for some reason I didn't think that applied to the managers. Uh, I thought they should get it right the first time. And, and 
why should they? They have this wealth of experience and um, knowledge that made them successful to get them where they are. And so it's going to take them a few shots uh, to, to actually figure this out and implement it. Uh, Jason, Aaron, and I worked together, this is what, 2012, I believe, at a company that was on their third major round of learning to do Agile. I think that was correct. Am I right, Jason? Fourth, I think. Could have been yeah, fourth. Second or third, yeah. Yeah, well. <laughs> well, the <laughs> good news consultant. is they're still going. I mean, I'm still connected with them, and they're still going. So, sorry, Don. Well, no, that, that's fine. So, so, it's getting better. And, you know, as the silver hair in the group, no, silver alert, sorry. <laughs> I'd have to have air to have silver hair. <laughs> Whoa. But, so he's got silver beard going. <laughs> yeah, I got the silver beard going. Anyway, you know, it, I, I have a lot of hope for the youngsters like Ryan and Tim and Jason and Aaron that by the time you're where I am, it's going to be like, yeah, this is so easy. Everyone's doing it. I don't know what, the, what we'll, our type will do for a job, but, you know, we'll find something. <laughs> You know, if you're going to quote uh, Max Planck, I get to quote Dilbert. So an example of... <laughs> they're, they're intellectual equals, so I'll give you that. I, I think they're in the same category. Um, but I remember a, a Dilbert cartoon where the boss, the pointy-haired boss, told uh, his team, teamwork is where I tell you what to do and you do it. <laughs> and I think that perfectly describes the world that's passing away. Yes. Um, I, I think that, you know, you talked about poor performers. I'm not, I'm not harping with you, but it did touch off this whole thing that I've been on. There are different ways of performing. And it's, it's kind of confusing, uh, especially to the old world managers where, you know, you did what I assigned you, therefore you're a good performer. That whole um, perform performance equation is what you did over what I told you to do. That's, that's got to go away. That's, that's on its way out. I, I don't. Th I think it's more correct, and I'm sure uh, Ryan will put the link to the blog post. It's what you did divided by what I wanted. You said yeah. what I told you. You're right. Because You're quite right. often I misquoted Tim. <laughs> I misquoted yeah, myself. You, well, but the point is, often I tell, I don't tell you what I want, and that's the problem with telling people what to do. Well, you, that it has a lot of problems, right? Um, well, yes. So um, the idea, though, of, of what really is productive, sometimes people contribute in ways that we don't appreciate. You know, sometimes you have team members and you start off by saying, well, what the heck did they do? I don't see a single commit with their name on it. And then you realize they were doing all the work and all the commits. They were just always working with other people. They always were pairing or they were always grouping or they were doing, you know, helping them solve their tough problems. There's guys that you know spend half their time debugging other people's code and helping them solve their problems, and they don't look like good performers. But without them, the team would collapse. You know, there are people who look after the the environment and the code quality, and and those things were never seen really as contributions in the old "do what I assigned you" world. And I think that in software, and now I'm going to get looking forward. I don't know if you're ready for a transition. Um, Fire away, but. The idea of working with knowledge instead of working with matter, where 
actual productivity is having better thoughts, making better decisions, as opposed to shaping better steel, carving better wood, et cetera, et cetera. We don't work with our hands anymore. And the world has 300 years of industrial revolution of managing people who do physical work with motion. And, you know, God bless Taylor. Um, but that's what people think this is. And I'm seeing a crack where people are starting to actually dig into the work of, um, you look at what Pink is doing, you look at what Dweck is doing, you look at um, all of the, the wonderful stuff that's coming out of uh, Galloway, and you look at uh, even, even Art of Thought, 1926 book, um, I'm always plugging. It tells us that thinking is not what we think it is. It, there's more involved in it. It's, it's more complicated. It's more human. And I think that software is the first place where we have literally millions of people who think and decide for a living, who make micro decisions and large decisions, who have to be free to make those decisions, and who have to be guided in their decision making, you know, to make sure that it, it supports you know, their human customers. And I think that really software is where it's going to happen. I think that we are at the house on the beach, right at that place where land and sea meet, where all of the interesting things are going to happen. Um, now, I'm a little optimistic that way. But if it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to be in software. And you're seeing it start already. Jason, you brought up another topic. I wanted to ask you about the, the idea of professionalism in, in the Agile community. Uh, where where are your thoughts going in that area? Because it's one, it's an area that I've been thinking through lately as far as um, increasing the level of skill, increasing the level of, of professionalism on teams. But I'm curious, uh, what are the things that you're seeing out there, uh, especially in the consulting world? What are you seeing as far as trends in the area of professionalism when you think about, you know, that, that agile context? Well, it's a good segue because I think it's connected to what Tim just said is uh, I don't see a lot, whole lot of space uh, or time for people to actually learn uh, beyond their their day-to-day fundamental responsibilities. Uh, whether it's, say, a scrum master or a product owner, when I start asking them, you know, what do they know about the book Switch or, or have they seen Influencer to understand how change happens. I, I, you know, as much as I respect Don and his, his ability to quote great things by dead people, I don't believe he's right. After reading Switch and all of the unbelievable changes that happen with very low budgets by very uh, normal people, I think change can happen in surprising ways if we really understand what it means to change and, and connect with people people's emotional side and irrational side. You know, Just ask your random scrum master what the last book is they read. Most of the time I get blank stares. I don't have time to read. So, so to me, and I'm not just going to rant on reading. It's not, not all, not all learning is going to happen from a book. Um, but last event they went to, last uh, conversation they had with somebody outside of work about their craft, whatever it might be, um, and, and what are they applying that they, that they learned? What, what little tidbit, the smallest possible thing they might have picked up to try? You know, what's in your toolkit? Um, and, and which which scrum practices do you use to do sprint planning? Do you prefer two parts to your sprint planning, or do you go uh, item by item and, and decompose each item to deeply understand what needs to happen to complete the item? That That's the kind of thing I'm talking about at, at, at the lowest level all the way up to the managers and talking to them about 
systems thinking and lean thinking and how to apply that to application development, uh, whatever the context, whether it's a startup, a large enterprise. And beyond that, uh, I've been blown away by the amount of technical that I'm seeing. Uh, this year has been like the enlightenment for me for what it really means to have technical debt, both in more mature organizations, you know, five, 10 years old that have accumulated all sorts of code to a 12 month old startup with, with, you know, thousands of lines of duplicated code, either through copies or through literally two people doing the same thing and not even knowing it. And it winds up in a code base. It, it's ridiculous. You know, that, that's where I think we're missing the boat by becoming too busy. It's, hey, I, I, you know, the, the little cartoon of, of the guys pushing the carpet to square wheels and the guy runs up at the wheel and says, hey, I can help. You know, we're too busy. That's my, been my observation recently of if, if we think through what's most important, again, going back to, you know, the easiest thing to connect to, you know, if I'm not moving the, the uh, cards on the board and I'm not worrying about the burn down chart, I can actually open up some time to, to learn something new from somebody else in whatever medium that is. So I can become more professional at what I'm doing. You know, even just reading Tim's blog for five minutes here, I, I pick up a little tidbit that I want to apply. I want to test it. I want to see if it will work for, for, for somebody I'm working with or for myself even. Yeah, I think uh, listening to podcasts also counts in that boat too, right, Jason? <laughs> totally. Absolutely. One of my, my coaching clients, um, we get together probably every I don't know, month or six weeks, something like that. And he's a CIO of a company. And... He's he's really forward thinking. Reads a lot of books, and they actually, um, you know, he turned me on to a few books that I, I found really awesome. And he actually brought Patrick Lencioni into their company to do some workshops and things like that for their executive team. And so, I mean, he's pretty forward thinking, and and uh, you know, really into learning. Understands that that's really valuable to the organization. And the interesting thing was, we we got to talking one day, and you know, I asked him how much time do you uh, give your people or, or encourage them to. You know, take time out of the, the eight-hour workday to learn, read, or or you know, listen to a podcast or something like that, and just sort of research their craft. And so we got to talking about that, and I said, well, you know, let's get very specific. What if you walked by someone's desk and they were sitting there reading a book? How would you feel about that? And of course, the the initial reaction is, well, I feel like they should be typing, right? <laughs> I feel like they should be punching keys. And this is a pretty forward-thinking guy, and so it, it got us talking for a while about how to go about, you know, creating a better environment for learning. Where, you know, as Jason pointed out, it's not just about reading books, but it's just a, that's a very visible, physical thing that people could be doing in their cubicle that are, that's actually really valuable to the company. And if the reaction is immediately they should be doing something else besides that, we got to fix something, right? So, so there's probably some, some thinking there that others could do that probably are not as forward thinking as this guy is. And I think, you know, really take some lessons from that and figure out how to make that, you know, a more conducive environment to learning and encourage those kind of things uh, even more than they are today. Well, you know, and it, it goes to even simpler things than that. So I'll tell you a, a couple stories. One of them, um, I had a team, and they talked about how exhausted they got and how they were just worn down every day. And they were pairing for four hours in the morning, four hours in the afternoon, no breaks, never walking away. And uh, I explained to them about, you know, ego depletion decision fatigue, you know, there's there's just basic brain function stuff that's been known for a very long time. And since it's pretty much been shown, and, you know, the whole Pomodoro technique, Don just put Pomodoro in the text, that was a mechanism to manage your brain function. It works, you know, it works very well. So I had the team and we started doing Pomodoros. So the first time we ran and we took a break, everybody got up and took five minutes, they came back and we did about three Pomodoros 
And they're like, man, I don't even need a break. I'm not even tired. And I said, that's right. You are managing your energy so that you don't become tired. This is the whole point of this. This is wonderful. And they're like, well, how about if we skip the break? I said, how about if we just take a break and then come back? And we did. Well, somewhere in the afternoon, the boss saw us stand up and, and stretch. And he said, are you taking breaks again? And that was it. There was never another Pomodoro. It was over. Permission was retracted in one sentence. And it was just a question. Are you taking a break again? When's anything going to get done was kind of the, uh, the assumption. But they were getting a ton of work done. He didn't ask. He didn't check. He knew, apparently, that work is motion. Work is typing. Right. Thinking isn't work. You don't need your brain to work well. You just need your fingers going fast, <laughs> which, you know, that's very industrial age. And it was very wrong. Um, which you know, ties back right back into what uh, Jason was pointing out, technical debt yeah. as well, right? That's where a lot of that comes from. Right. Right. You Somehow or other exhausted people don't make good decisions. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with Jason as well. That was, you know, an, an epiphany for some of my clients, I think, this year as well, is just the what, what technical debt actually means, what it looks like, and what it does to you as an organization, especially, you know, as I mentioned, trying to do uh, some lean startup things as people try to move fast on the business side. And you, you hear from a customer, hey, I'd like to have this tweak. How fast can you have that in for me? Can I see it tomorrow? You know, is usually the question. And when you have so much technical debt that it's going to take you weeks and, or maybe months to turn that around, it's a real problem, right? And I think the more, more companies I've started working with on the, the product and lean startup side, there's a, a much um, I guess higher recognition that that is a real thing and it's a real problem. You know, I, I think one of the either failures or, or great tragedies of our profession is that we spend this, this amazing amount of time talking about the work that we need to do, but we don't really spend all that much time how we should do the work. And, and it's a trend that, um, you know, Don, maybe it'll just through attrition, <laughs> maybe that trend will change as, as you point out. But um, I think it's one that we really have to get past. And I think, you know, back to Jason's original a comment. I think it, it ties well back to professionalism, and it ties back to um, this idea that we have to be learning individuals. That if we don't balance that equation, if we don't change that scale a bit and get the 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 brain power back on the how of our work, uh, we're not going to we're not going to do great things. And I think that's uh, definitely an, an important takeaway from from this exchange. I, I certainly agree, and I'm going to quote another old dead guy at this time. <laughs> you know, it's what us old guys do as we quote those of us, those who have passed on before us. Uh, I believe Lincoln said, if I had eight hours to chop down a tree, I would spend the first six hours sharpening my axe. Right. And I think that applies very much to what you just said, Ryan, that, um, you know, here's, so I have good news and bad news. The good news is we're having a great time. The bad news is we haven't gotten to 2016 yet. And I really think the can of worms you've opened is, what does it mean to be a software professional or, or, or a professional in this business? Whether you're doing software as a developer or a team member, whether you're being the scrum master, a coach, what does it mean to be professional? And that's that. That would be. A, have, have we had that podcast yet? We have not, but I think now we have to. <laughs> we can I go by the NCAA's version. So you become a professional as soon as you start getting paid and sell your jersey or something like that, right? 
<laughs> that's right. Well, that's one definition well, of professional. Absolutely. <laughs> I think as soon as you have an acronym after your name, it becomes official, right? <laughs> no, I, I think it's an important question, and it's one that um, if we answer it well, and if, if we establish those parameters correctly, I think it enables... Uh, agile to go into more industries and into more companies because I think that is uh, an area that scares people uh, about an agile transformation or, or organizational transformation as a whole. It's well understood in today's setup in a traditional company what a professional looks like. For for better or for worse, it's it's known. And the fact that when you make that organizational transformation, you move to agile you know, what does it mean to be a professional in that space, in the type of world that Tim's talking about, where learning and where motion, where, where learning is paramount and motion is no longer a measure? You know, what's a professional then? I think that's not known. I think that's there's a big question mark there. And all of a sudden it's everyone's in this in this zone of discomfort. And so how do we how do we take care of that? And so I think an episode, Don, is a great idea for that topic. But you're right. We haven't talked about 2016, and so and I don't think Jason, you're going to get there. Well, I think the I think the preview is is that you know stasis is not a good place to be. So you're either getting better, or you're getting worse. So professionals are always trying to figure out how to get better individually, and uh, how to make the organization better. So I think that's the simplest def- definition I can think of, uh, because I think it applies to just about every context I can think of. It's it's how I was I grew up. In the Marine Corps, it was it was you, you're going to spend time getting better. There's always something you don't know. There's always the next thing you've got to learn because it's a mission critical environment. I had to be ready to to take charge of you know the next level up. And and conversely, I needed to make sure that my squad leaders, you know, sergeants, non commissioned officers, could take my place. You know, if the worst thing happened to me. So to me, that defines professionalism. What am I doing to help those around me become better and how am I, what am I doing to make myself better? That, that defines the professionalism to me. It's not a, a treadmill of 26 sprints in a year and I'm shipping software every, every, every sprint and I'm, and I'm, and I'm professional. No, I'm not only doing that, I'm getting better and better at what I'm doing. So it's becoming easier or becoming uh, uh, more productive in, in, in the value that we're generating that we're achieving whatever goal we've defined in, in new and better and, and more efficient and effective ways. Uh, that, that to me is the goal around 2016 is, you know, what, what can I do to help people do that? And what am I doing myself to do that? Um, you know, we've, we've got our own, you know, new, new product launch coming up in April. It's like, okay, what, what is that really going to look like? You know, what, what, what are we going to do to make sure that's, that's the maximum success? What experiment are we doing next week to make sure that we hit the mark? Uh, that that I think is where it all intersects from from an agile point of view, from a you know, from modern you know organizational management perspective, uh, is, is you know taking the next step forward. What do you think? Well, th- this won't play well over the over a podcast, but I think uh, I think we're living that. If you look at the if you look behind Jason, it's a a bookshelf full of books uh, that I'm sure cover. Agile, Scrum, software development. If you look behind Tim, it's a bookshelf full of books. Uh, if you look behind me, uh, you guys see a bookshelf full of books. Half that whole top shelf is uh, Jerry Weinberg. So, I mean, it's 
you know, Aaron, I know that you're you're an avid reader. Don, I'm I'm sure you wrote half of the books that we've uh, or participated. Ah, the Kindle. There you go. <laughs> so I I think that's um, certainly a sign that uh, you know I can't actually on my desk is a stack of books that I need to get to as well. So it's one of those that I wouldn't be where I, I am in my career today without constantly trying to learn something new and, and trying to, to get a little bit better. Uh, it gets harder as you get older, of course, but um, no, Tim disagrees. Oh, at 53, I learned more faster than I ever did before. <laughs> That's encouraging. <laughs> but um, I would like to um, suggest that the idea of a professional says you belong to a profession and that you tend to your profession, not just your job or your day or your team, that there is some sense of moving forward and some sense of carrying things forward. And without that, uh, we end up a group of people in nice shirts trying to make the best 1993 so far. (laughs) And I'm sad to say that an awful lot of what I see that I'd like to leave behind in 2015, moving forward into 2016, if if we could just stop trying to recreate some past experience, if we would try to just move forward and not do what we did in 1985, only better, but to bring in the best of what we've learned and the best that's available to us and to really see what makes us great, what makes us awesome, what brings us forward, and what brings our families and our friends and our, our colleagues and our brother consultants forward. That's where we've got to go. And I'm looking forward to 2016 being an opportunity to go forward with everybody and to be dragged forward sometimes and pushed forward others. We're, we're talking about change, basically. And the quote goes, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. And that's General Eric Shinseki. Yeah, and I think for the 2016 forward view... I think change is my 2016. I think it's going to be a constant state of change from now until the end of the year, uh, professionally, personally, and all around. I mean, uh, from a, a professional perspective, it's it's change or die in the software industry. You know, kind of what that uh, uh, that quote alludes to. And so, even this year, some of the work that we're looking at, even on the podcast, is going to be. A lot of change, a lot of work, a lot of a lot of new things. Personally, uh, my wife and I are welcoming child number three in April, and that uh, an infant in your home, <laughs> an infant in your home is always a bombshell. <laughs> so definitely a lot of change there as well. And um, so I think for me at least, 2016 is going to be a year of big changes, but all but all change that we're looking forward to. You know, I am the worst person in the world to put on a support team. I hate steady state. I can't stand it. You know, the ship's, ship's righted, everything's going great, and I'm bored out of my mind. And so I really, I like that state, and it, I, I think it's fascinating. So I, I can't, I'm only optimistic about 16. Yeah, you know, I'm pretty optimistic as well. I think um, coming back to a couple of points that were made earlier, one of the things I, I'm starting to see is that Agile has spread pretty far in a lot of areas. And now I think people are coming back, you know, trying to, to get to the core of it and trying to refine and really make it work well. And so I've seen a lot of companies where, you know, they've gone out and read a book or gone to a conference and, you know, started calling themselves agile. And they're, they're getting a little bit of benefit out of it. And it's, it's going forward. But I think it's really coming back to the core of, you know, what, how it started, why it works, 
and and really trying to to implement that from a a cultural standpoint rather than just a practices standpoint. And so I, I think that's what's uh, what I have on the agenda for for 2016 is really trying to help that happen for a few companies as well as just sort of spread the word through uh, conferences and talks and things like that of you know somewhat getting back to the the core reasons why this all started and and why it can be helpful. Sort of like taking back Agile, huh? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, guys, we have come up to the hour. It is now up. So at this point of the podcast, uh, we like to give you guys an opportunity to plug anything you have going on, make any final comments or statements, uh, point the listeners uh, to how they can reach out and communicate with you, and uh, and to put anything else in front of them that uh, you think they'd find inter- interesting. So, Aaron, let's start with you. Shameless plugs and uh, ways to contact you. Yeah, sure. So, ways to contact me. The, the best one is usually email Aaron at projectbrilliant.com uh, on Twitter at AA. K-O-P-E-L, so A.A. Kobel. Uh, shameless plug for Agile Indie, the conference. Uh, this will be our fourth annual conference. Uh, we sold out the first three years and had 50 people on the wait list last year, so we've gone a little bit bigger this year. Uh, it's going to be exciting. April 12th in Indianapolis. Uh, AgileIndieConf.com is a good place to go. And if you're looking for speaking opportunities, uh, that's a good option as well. Uh, but hopefully we'll get a lot of attendees from around the state of Indiana and neighboring states and uh, spread the word of Agile here. So that's the big one I wanted to plug, agileindieconf.com. Yeah, I actually spoke at in, at Agile Indie last year. Wonderful conference. Uh, Aaron and, and the rest of the board of Agile Indie, they take great care of the speakers. Uh, wonderful accommodations, uh, great speaking opportunity, very friendly crowds. So if you're uh, going to be in the Midwest, in the Indianapolis area. It is a great conference to speak at, to attend, really interesting topics, and uh, just a, a, a first-class uh, setup from the Agile Indie board. So can't recommend Agile Indie enough. I know, by the way, we've uh, Ryan and I have talked about actually doing a podcast at Agile Indie, uh, the conference that day. So if you're also interested in getting into the podcast, we can probably uh, talk about that too. Yeah, definitely. We will be uh, recording at Agile Indie. I'm Atai Schleier another friend of the podcast and someone that you guys uh, hear from regularly on the show. Uh, He's set up to join us, so we will be there and uh, can't wait to see all of you down in Indy. So, Aaron, great conference. Thanks for that uh, that plug. Jason, I know you've got a lot going on. Uh, How can people reach you and uh, what would you like to get in front of them? Uh, LinkedIn works great. Uh, Jason Tanner uh, or email jtanner at appliedframeworks.com. And uh, our big uh, launch in April will be cspfastpass.com. So taking people beyond the entry-level certifications to the next level, because we've got a big problem in the Scrum Alliance that we have only seen uh, about 3,500 people become professionals in Scrum, but we've got around 300,000 CSMs and, and product owners. So. CSP FastPass uh, and, and other ways to help people achieve the next level uh, of certification uh, in April. Um, otherwise, uh, just email me or hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, we do a lot of East Coast training events if you've got people that need to get trained. And a uh, big event in Austin uh, in Silicon Valley, Luke is going to be doing uh, huge uh, uh, innovation games collaboration training. 
he's looking to put 100 people in a room for $250 each for uh, both a day of facilitation training or a day of uh, game design. So how to develop your own uh, collaboration framework that fits your context. So pretty excited about those. Um, you can find those on um, appliedframeworks.eventbrite.com or at contenio.co, C-O-N-T-E-N-E-O dot C-O. And we'll be sure to get those links uh, into the show notes. Thanks, Jason. And again, uh, really enjoyed the, the type of training that Jason does. Uh, I, I personally believe he's one of the better CSTs out there. Really enjoy the, the teaching from the back of the room uh, approach. And the lack of PowerPoint really made me engage and think through uh, a lot of the different scrum values and principles and uh, really got a lot out of the class uh, and really could not recommend it enough. So thanks, Jason. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate the kind words. Mr. Don Gray, what are you peddling this month? <laughs> what don't you have? <laughs> uh, so back to Coaching Beyond the Team, uh, which is cleverly hidden at coachingbeyondtheteam.com. Uh, Esther and I are headed to South Africa, Johannesburg. And the first workshop sold out so fast, we're actually taking a day off and then doing a second workshop in Johannesburg, South Africa. And there's still two seats left in that workshop. That's a, uh, That would be like the 3rd and 4th of March. Uh, the next workshop after that will be in Malmo, Sweden. And then we're coming back to the United States. I think there's going to be one in the D.C. area sometime in the fall. Um, so coachingbeyondtheteam.com. Uh, the other thing is to talk about the Agile 2016 conference, which will be in Atlanta. I am the track chair for the leadership track this year. And if you have a topic on leadership, we'd love to have you or a session that you'd like to offer on leadership. Uh, I'd like to remind you or, and the listeners at large uh, the submission system closes, I believe it's February 7th. So submit often, and uh, perhaps you'll get a session accepted. And then it's just work as usual. <laughs> yep, having a really good time working with you on that, uh, that track, Don. Seeing a lot of good sessions come in, and uh, it's been fun so far. I always enjoy uh, getting to be an evaluator on the Agile Alliance track, or on the uh, on these tracks, so it's been fun so far, and uh, I can't wait for the the flood of submissions that are going to happen on uh, February sixth. That's generally about when they hit. <laughs> oh, and and to contact me, uh, Don at Donald E Gray. If you send it to Don at Donald Gray, it goes to some guy I've never met. So make sure you put the E as an echo between Donald and Gray. And Twitter would be at Donald E. Gray. Very good. Thank you, sir. Tim, round it out for us. Okay. So, of course, this is going to be the best year ever. And you can get hold of me um, many different ways. On Twitter, it's at Toddinge. That's T. Ottinger with no R at the end for historical purposes. Um, At Toddinge there. You can also find me on LinkedIn. Of course, at industriallogic.com, where um, that's where... Where a lot of my work's coming this year, we're going to be 
doing real work workshops, a whole new thing that nobody else is doing. We have the whole modern agile thing rocking and rolling, um, modern agile planning. And I'm really looking for opportunities to get out in the world again this year. Um, agile Otter blog, of course, is always uh, your home for learning curious and bizarre things about agile work. Oh, and there's also um, a rumor in the air, because I'm starting it, um, that there will be a refresh on Agile in a Flash possibly this year. Are we talking about a second edition? Yes, we might be talking about a second edition Ooh. in a more Kindle-friendly format. You'll have to keep us posted on that, Tim. That is a classic. Now that I finally learned the first version. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. they, If you don't have the first version, move fast. They're running out of copies. <laughs> well, I, I'm only going to buy one if I can get a signed one from you, Tim. Oh, I'm happy to Mine do is that. Signed. <laughs> is it? Yeah, let me grab it. Awesome. <laughs> Look at that. He even knew where it was a thousand he books, knew. and he walked oh. right to it. All right, and I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Thank you for joining us this week. Uh, really great uh, panel discussion with this group. I uh, really appreciate all their insights and inputs. I hope this was valuable to you. If it was, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, at Ryan Ripley on Twitter, or leave a comment on the blog site. Your comments help us improve this podcast. So for this podcast and for me to get better as your host in 2016, your feedback is essential and always appreciated. Thank you very much for joining us, ladies and gentlemen, and have a great night. Thanks for listening to Agile for Humans. Let's keep the conversation going. Drop us a question on Twitter at Agile for Humans. Or visit agileforhumans.com. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and scrum on.